Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. I was mentioning a moment ago, so we're looking at our series right now in the stained glass windows, and we're looking at Moses, who's the one in the center there holding the Ten Commandments. And I'm pretty sure when you think of Moses, you probably think of this, or I certainly do. Sarah, you got that picture? Anybody know what's coming? (laughs) Try to get him out of your head if you're old, okay? Charlton Heston, there he is. It'll show up again at Easter, that same movie, you know, Blue-Eyed Moses, there he is. Not unlike our one back here. Uh, Moses is a key political figure, key religious leader, a prophet. But as you think about his life, which we're gonna look at today, some might say he's a leader, Some might say he's the bearer of the Ten Commandments. Some might call him a great prophet. Some might call him a murderer. Some might call him a stutterer. Someone might say he's the one that got to see God's backside. Uh, Some might say he was the one who had the ability to separate the waters of the Red Sea so they could cross. Some might say he was the one that argued with God and won. Some might say he's the poor guy that lived to be 120 and never got to live in the Promised Land. Moses is big, and this sermon may seem a little biblically, or a little too much Bible for you today, but at least I will be lessened to my burden of guilt, which means not using the Bible enough, to tell you lots about this guy, because he's so key in your religious understanding, but also in the world to understand who Moses was. Moses was all those things and more. When I was doing the research on this sermon, I thought, hmm, there's no better person that could talk about this than a rabbi. And so, literally, I phoned up Rabbi Mark uh, Glickman, and I said, I'm coming to see you. I jumped in my car. I went to his office. And so here's a 10-minute conversation with a rabbi uh, who's going to tell us why this is such an important person and story in the Jewish tradition and ours. So I invite you to this 10-minute story, unedited. Okay, Rabbi Mark, we had technology problems, but we're back together now, live in your office. I'm glad to be here with you. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I was saying yesterday, we're doing, we have nine stained glass windows in the church, and each week we're looking at one. There are different men and women that have been dedicated to be part of the building. And this week is Moses. And, An important uh, person. Important person. Uh, lots of people know Moses as uh, Charlton Heston, but we right. know that's not really who mm-hmm. Moses was. So in the Jewish tradition for you, uh, who's Moses uh, for your understanding of the Jewish tradition? Well, Moses, of course, was uh, uh, the great leader of of, uh, our tradition, the great rabbi of our tradition, the great prophet of our tradition. It's interesting because people when uh, uh, who were writing the book of Deuteronomy, when the prophets were ascendant, referred to uh, Moses as a Navi, a prophet. Rabbinic tradition refers to him as as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our rabbi, Moses our teacher. Um, but, but, of course, m- what's important is that Moses was the primary conduit between God and the Jewish people. When God wanted to give Torah to the Jewish people, God gave it through Moses. Uh, when the Jew- Jewish people misbehaved, the Israelites misbehaved, and God wanted to destroy them all, it was Moses who in- interceded on, on behalf of the people. So Moses is really a, a, a key middleman between God and the Jewish people. He was so important, as a matter of fact, that there is a fear in Judaism, uh, and there there has long been a fear of of, uh, deifying him. We don't know where Moses is 
buried, for example. Uh, uh, there, there was a fear that Jews might go to his grave and ask for his intercession on their behalf and kind of change history, and we don't want to do that. If you've ever seen Back to the Future, changing right. history can have <laughs> bad results. Uh, the, uh, the, the main prayer book that Jews use at our Passover seders, our, our, our festive meals to begin Passover, is called the Haggadah. And in the Passover Haggadah, Moses is not mentioned once at all. This great story of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and wandering through the wilderness doesn't even mention once this great leader. There was a fear that we would take this great human leader and actually notch or you know, ratchet him up a few steps and turn him in the, into a god. So, so there's a little bit of reluctance because he was such an important man in our, in our tradition. And he, and he remains uh, today uh, an important figure that, as, for instance, in the, in the, uh, in the black community, uh, Martin Luther King would have referred to him a lot as, as uh, God is providing a new way, God is taking and moving us from bondage to freedom. That whole uh, metaphor about who God is desires freedom for people. Absolutely. And, you know, looking at Dr. King, though, I, I'm pretty certain he didn't use this kind of language for himself, to refer to himself. Many people see him, of course, as a Moses, leading people out of oppression, out of, of slavery toward freedom. And, and certainly that kind of imagery has been used for many great leaders throughout history. And indeed, in our, I'm going to say on Sunday, that even in the Christian tradition, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew wants people to see Jesus as a second Moses, ah, the okay. one moving from bondage uh, to freedom. So most people would think about uh, Moses as the one carrying the Ten Commandments down uh, the Mount Sinai. You, you were mentioning to me that uh, there are, you divide, in some sense, the commandments into two sections. One's about God and one's about the community. Is that right? Yes. Well, I guess... To tweak what you said, in Judaism, we see Moses as the person carrying down the two tablets. And the question is, what was on those tablets? And uh, there are many Jewish traditions that say the entire Torah, all of Jewish revelation, was on those two tablets. But there are other tra traditions, of course, that say it was just the Ten Commandments. Now, and I actually need to tweak that a little bit, too, because in Hebrew, we refer to those... Uh, ten Commandments as Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Utterances. There are arguably not all commandments. So, for example, the first one, as Jews count them, and Jews and Christians traditionally count them differently, we separate uh, one from the other differently, says, uh, uh, I am Adonai, your God, who led you out of Egypt, the house, uh, uh, out of the land of Egypt, from the house of, 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 of slaves. Period. That's that's it. I guess you could say that's a commandment to believe in God, but at first blush, it doesn't sound like a commandment at all. For Jews, the tenth one is you shall not covet. Now, I know from many Christians count there being two coveting commandments at the end. For us, we just count one. Um, but, uh, you know, lots of sages in the Jewish past have asked the question, how can you command a feeling? Coveting is ultimately a feeling. How can you prohibit a feeling. They just happen. We don't have control over it. And one of the classic rabbinic answers to that is that you shall not covet could also be translated as you will not covet. In other words, if you observe numbers one through nine, mm. then 
you won't find yourself needing more and more and more if you are faithful to the people who love you, if you set one day aside a week as holy time, if you don't kill and affirm life in everything you do or don't steal, do all these things, then you're going to have what um, the author Cal Calvin Trillin referred to when discussing his father as a highly developed, developed sense of enoughness. You will have be satisfied with what you have. So, um, so it it uh, it was that revelation that that Moses that Moses brought down the ten utterances. Um, and what you were referring to earlier is the first five of them have to do with what's called in Hebrew mitzvot ben adam lamakom commandments that have to do with our with the relationship between human beings and God. And the second five have to do with mitzvot ben adam lechaverol uh, interpersonal. Command, commandments. Commandments having to do with the way we conduct ourselves with other people. And in, interestingly, commandment number five, uh, honor your father and mother, is on the first of those tablets. One of the ways we honor God is by being good to our parents. Hmm. Well, you were saying... Uh, and I try to tell my kids that all the time. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always work. Well, isn't the honoring of your father and mother about if they teach you the Torah? Uh, there's a lot of caveats because, of course, what does it mean to honor your parents? Does it mean that you have no emotional boundaries whatsoever? We know that there are a lot of great parents around, and there are a lot of people whose strengths lie in areas other than parenting. <laughs> and um, and so, the, so uh, you know, we, we honor them to the extent that they lead us to good goodness. But, of course, honoring your parents doesn't mean just becoming a doormat to, to them. And there's been a lot of discussion over the year, over the years as to how to honor problematic parents. That's a really good point because I think of all of those, that one seems to have a lot of people, gives a, a lot of people trouble and yes. challenge. And you were saying to me that these are 10 of, uh, in the Jewish tradition, there's 613 Yes, I mean, there are the Ten Commandments, right. which for those of us old enough to remember the David Letterman show are kind of like the, the top ten list. Right. But if you count all the commandments in Jewish scripture, there are 613 of them, at least according to Jewish tradition. And they have to do with everything. They have to do with um, how we spend our, m our money and what we eat and what holidays we celebrate and sex and other family relationships and, and how we are members of our communities and all of the stuff of, of our daily lives. So, um, uh, so the ten are an important group of them, but there are many, many others. Okay, and the last question is, uh, you, you were sharing with me that you had a, you have an affinity uh, uh, sense of connection to Moses. Um, what is that? Yes, well, Moses has always been a, a, a personal role model and inspiration for me. Um, when, when Moses is at the burning bush, having spent years as a shepherd out in the wilderness, and God tells him he's going to have to take this big job on leading the Israelites out of slavery, Moses tries every argument in the book to get out of it. And one of the arguments, he says, is in Hebrew, I'm not a man of words. And Jewish tradition understood that. I mean, you could understand it to mean he didn't speak Egyptian very well. You can understand it to mean he's not very articulate. Jewish tradition understood, understood that most often to mean that what he was saying is, I have a speech impediment. And many sages said he stuttered. Uh, I'm a lifelong stutterer. I'm a lot more fluent now than I used to be. I used to stutter far more severely. And the fact that God chose this imperfect guy, this guy who struggled so much with 
making the words he needed to make in order to do his job. And God maybe even chose Moses not to despite that, but because of that. Mm. Um, uh, really conveys to me, and I think many other people like me, or many other people, period, a, um, an important message, and that is that sometimes uh, uh, what we see as our greatest faults are really just uh, impediments that we put up for to ourselves uh, that get in the way of us doing what we need to do. And it's interesting because Moses began by saying, I'm not a man of devarim, words. And, of course, his, his last gift to the Jewish people was a group of speeches collected in the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy in Hebrew is called Sefer Devarim, the book of words. He started by saying, I'm not a man of words, and words ended up being his great, greatest gift. Um, uh, sometimes maybe the things we struggle with the most are the secrets to the greatest legacy we can leave behind after we're gone. Excellent. Thank you for this uh, wonderful insight into Moses and the Ten Commandments. You're very welcome, and it's a joy to speak with you. Thank you. Isn't he great? Uh, yeah. There is a weekly Bible study at 1 o'clock. I think it's on Thursdays that he's in. And it's so great to be with uh, Rabbi Mark. He's got such a command of the languages. And so I'll make sure you know about it. I'm going to go to it myself. It's one hour. It's Christians and, and Jews talking together about these stories. And this sermon does feel, if it does feel a little bit heavy on the Bible side, because I really think this is important for you to know. It's like uh, having a sense of the, the history that's the Jewish tradition that's yours. What I loved at the end of this conversation with uh, Rabbi Mark was his connection with his own stuttering and then back to the stuttering of Moses and how he talks about uh, Moses resisting the call all along the way. I have 10 little things I want to say about this story. They're not commandments, but they're connections. And I invite you to think about them. If you leave today's sermon with more questions than answers, you're right on the right track. Okay. First off, his birth, which they're probably teaching in Sunday school right now. Moses' birth, for those who don't know this story, is that he was placed in a basket and his body was floated down the Nile. I can still remember doing this in Sunday school 55 odd years ago. And this, uh, when we had this conversation earlier this week, one of the people in the, in the study said, what I like about the story the most is the story of his birth because Moses was adopted. And she said, just like me. It was so important for her to say, this is a biblical figure who knew, knew what adoption was, to have new parents in her life. So the birth is so important. Uh, the second is that later on when he grows up in the Pharaoh's household, he suddenly sees uh, an, an, an Egyptian about to kill one of his own people, and he steps in and Moses murders them. Moses, our prophet in the window, is our murderer. So he flees, and he leaves off into the, this is number three, into the wilderness to take care of sheep. And while he's out there herding the sheep, he comes across the burning bush. In the United Church Creed, the burning bush, there's one right there. I didn't know it was right there, over my left shoulder. There's one right there. The burning bush is this bush that wasn't consumed, and it's from that bush that God's voice says, I've heard the cries of my people. Let my people go. And so you hear of a sense of a God who sees and hears what's going on and wants to step in from this burning bush. The fourth, the call of Moses, as the song says, who am I? Who am I to say no? 
because Moses clearly stutters his way through, no, 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 I can't do this. Because of his, uh, his uh, inability to speak clearly, God says, no problem, I got someone for you. And Aaron becomes the one who speaks with him. And then when Moses finally says, yes, I'll go, he's about to go off. He says, but if, if people say, what's your name, what do I say? And God's response from the burning bush is, I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. One of my favorite lines in scripture, when people always say God's a he or a she or this or that, God says, I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be, resisting the limitations humans put on God. And so when when Moses says, can I see you? God says, sure. And God walks by, quote unquote, and only flashes God's behind to Moses. If you think I'm making it up, check it out in the Bible. When I thought about this, I thought about when my son was in, uh, in Creative Learning Center in South Calgary. The teacher came up, at the end of a class came up to me and said, John, can I talk to you about your son? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did he do? Or maybe he's going to get promoted. Who knows? I have no idea. She says, um, by the way, I've been doing this for 25 years. This is the first time a three-year-old has ever mooned me. <laughs> and that's exactly what God does in this story. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. God moons Moses. If you move on, then you go to this awful part, the 10 plagues. I I watched the movie, The Prince of Egypt. Has anybody seen it? I watched it in 1998. I tried to watch it on Friday with Charlotte. I got partway through and I had to shut it off. Because I remembered in 1998 when I watched it with my kids, at the end of the movie, they said, was that real? And I had to say, yeah, it was real. But when you look at the violence of this story, of the 10 plagues of this story, of the, of the mistreatment of people in this story, and it's in your Bible, it's so harsh when we have to look at the violence in the Bible. And the 10 plagues are absolutely ridiculous when you see it on screen. So we shut it off and we didn't watch it. I hope I saved her life in some way. I'm taking her to Jesus Christ Superstar tonight, so we'll see how that ends up, but anyway. Number seven, the Passover. When the Jews celebrate the Passover, it's because God has said to them, mark the door of your house with a a bit of blood, and I will pass over your house. I will not destroy your house. That's called a mezuzah. Your Jewish friends have it at the door. Every time they walk through the door, they touch the mezuzah to remember that, to be reminded that God moves them, moves over them, and sets them free. Number eight, conflict. What do we do with this God? This God who offers plagues, the God who helps part the sea. What about the people that drowned? What do we do with the violence in these scriptures that that invoke God as one who is violent in such a way, and yet in another way is leading people to freedom? How do we hold these things together? So then when they get through on the other side of the river, they're wandering around for 40 years. 40 years is a key phrase, 40 years in the Old Testament, 40 days in the New Testament. They're wandering around, wondering about uh, how they're going to live. They grumble and complain like just all of us when we are hungry and starved. And God provides manna, bread from heaven, just like we have bread on a table. And then we finally get to the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to go through them all. But what I would say is this, the three things I want to say about the Ten Commandments. The community has been wandering for 40 years. They finally settle down. And they see that these are the 10 rules. Why do they say 10? Some say because we've got 10 fingers. What are the 10 ways in which we're going to live together? And they begin to list them. And the rabbi talked about the first five are about the relationship with God. And the bottom five are relationship with each other. 
So I see them as, Rabbi, I call them utterances. I would call them guidelines. What they do is they hearken people to remember where they were and who they are now. You will have no other gods before me, unlike the multiple gods in Egypt. You will not take the Lord's name in vain, unlike the people in Egypt did. You will not kill, unlikely, unlike the people in Egypt killed randomly. You will rest on the Sabbath because you didn't get to rest in slavery. So they're always looking back, unlike this, this is how we'll live. So the Ten Commandments, and we could go through them together, are really about the way that community is going to live. And it's pretty hard to transport that community's rules to this community's rules that we live in now. As an example, thou shalt not commit adultery. What does it mean to commit adultery when a male can have several, several wives and, and can actually have sex with someone who's not married? Adultery was having sex with someone who was married. So all these rules that are patriarchal and exclusive, how do we want to say that's the rule for us and how we live? The third and final is economic. Moses is seen as a prophet who's helping people move into the new neighborhood, the new way of living. And they clearly want Jesus to be seen as the second Moses. And so there are so many parallels between Moses' life and Jesus' life. When Moses was born, there was a pharaoh. When Jesus was born, there was a, a king that was wanted to murder all the ch small children. Jesus is a refugee. Moses is a refugee. Je Moses um, has manna come from heaven. Jesus has bread that he breaks with the community. Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. Jesus goes up the mountain to give the Sermon on the Mount. There are so many ways the literature is trying to tell you this is who Moses was. This is what Jesus is. And in all of this, it's trying to point out that we all need Moseses in our life. So Martin Luther King is seen as a Moses. Nelson Mandela is seen as a Moses. Perhaps right now we're, we're waiting for he or she Moses to be the one that's going to lead us to the next way of being that community. All the way through the scriptures, there's this invitation to see and point to Jesus for Christians as the second Moses. Final word comes from Walter Brueggemann, a great Old Testament theologian who says this, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture and nurse and evoke a consciousness and a perception alternate to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. I'll say it again. The task of the prophetic ministry is to nurture and nourish and evoke a consciousness and a perception alternate to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. So while Moses is trying to get them to see differently, so too was Jesus. And Brueggemann says, we're living in a time when fear is being encouraged. Hello, Canada, right now. We live in a time where fear is provoked, and when we are provoked, we are less neighborly, less concerned for the common good, and we seek to divide and conquer and are deeply polarized. And Brueggemann says the call of the church is to say, be not afraid, to remind people not to be afraid, because fear is what people want. They want to divide us and the call is to unite us. And so this window and this meal and the stories invite us not to be afraid, to remember and be remembered as a community. Jesus summed all of these 613 commandments or the top 10 of Letterman or Moses simply with this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your neighbor 
as yourself. And so this window invites us to a world that considers what are the commandments for our world, our life in this world, so that we're not afraid, so that we do care for each other and the neighborhood where God resides. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.